0: Well, good morning again, church. Grace to you and peace uh, from God, our Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ. As we continue our worship in the Word, let's take a few moments to bow and prepare our hearts in prayer. Um, Father in heaven, we thank you for this time of worship. As We can come to you in song and just declare who you are, your greatness. We thank you for Christ who died on the cross for our sins, rose again in newness of life, and in whom we find salvation. Father, this morning, as we transition to your word, we pray that uh, your word would be like a light into our feet and a lamp into our path, that it would be our guide this morning, that you would instruct us in this truth, in the truths therein. We pray, Lord, that you'd get us out of the way, whatever might hinder hearing your word and heeding your word, that you would remove it. So, Father, this morning, what we know not teach us, what we have not give us, and who we are not in Christ, we ask that you'd make us, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. On the first and last day of each school year, uh, my wife will ask our children a series of questions. Uh, related to their likes and their dislikes, their growth and their maturity. And then she'll take a chalkboard and fill in some of those answers. And then she'll have each child hold it on the first and last day of school and take their photo. And it's really a good way to measure their growth and to see changes that have come. And so this past week, our middle child, she finished her last day of school. And my wife, she asked if I would ask the questions, write the answers, and then take the photo, and so I sat down with our three-year-old, and I had a chance to talk about her likes and her dislikes, talk about what she learned in school this year, and I also got to ask her how much she's grown, and when I asked her how tall she's grown from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, she was so excited to take me over to um, a tape measure, a a, tape, uh, a measuring stick in our house, and she went over there, and uh, she, uh, she knew what to do. She put her back to it. She was standing on her tippy-toe. I said, you got to put your feet flat on the ground. And I measured her, and as I measured her, I informed her with her face, grinning from ear to ear. I let her know, you've grown three inches. And boy, this girl was so excited. She started to announce to everybody, I've grown three inches, I've grown three inches. And then she asked me, Daddy, how much have you grown this year? And I said, I have not grown in a very long time, at least in terms of height, so... uh." You know, when it comes to physical growth, uh, that's easy to measure. But the question I want us to consider together this morning is, how do you measure spiritual growth? How do you know you're growing and maturing in your faith? And that's what I want to talk on this morning in Second Peter. I invite you to turn there in your Bibles. We're in chapter 1, and we'll be looking at the first 11 verses together. You know, as you make your way there in your Bibles, uh, the subject I want to talk about this morning is the marks of a fruitful faith. The marks of a fruitful faith that serve as evidence that we're growing and that we're maturing in our faith and our walk with the Lord. It's important before we read 2 Peter in the first 11 verses of chapter 1 to talk about an introduction to the letter. Now, 2 Peter is different from 1 Peter. Same author uh, Peter is writing to believers, and, and in 1 Peter, Peter's purpose is to write these believers to encourage them in the light of growing pressures of persecution on the outside. 2 Peter, on the other hand, is written to warn believers of dangers on the inside. And so in chapter 1, Peter is going to warn believers about moral. Uh, moral decay moral um, uh, compromise by encouraging believers towards spiritual maturity which is why we're going to talk about the marks of the uh, the uh, the marks of a fruitful faith this morning in chapter 2 Peter is going to warn believers about false doctrine and false teachers encouraging them to walk in discernment and then in chapter three he's going to warn believers in regards to having p- the proper prophetic concerns in regards to what God says about the end times but we begin this morning in chapter 1, as Peter warns us against moral compromise by pursuing spiritual, uh, um, sp- uh, spiritual growth and maturity by taking a look at the marks of a fruitful faith. So open your Bibles, uh, 2 Peter chapter w- 1, we'll be in verse 1. Would you stand in honor of the reading of the word together? Chapter 1 verse 1 reads this way, uh, Simon Peter a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which... Have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self control, to self control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord, you all may be seated in the presence of God this morning. As we walk through our text this morning, I want to just take some time to talk about how do you know you're growing spiritually How do you know you're growing and maturing in your faith? And if I could break down our text, it would be broken down into two sections. The first, in verses 1 through 4, we're going to talk about the mark of a fruitful fruitful faith. And the fruitful faith is marked first by knowing God intimately and personally in verses 1 through 4. And a fruitful faith is marked by growing in verses 5 to 11 as we grow and mature in our faith. That's how we know we're spiritually growing. Let's begin in the first four verses and talk about how we know we're growing spiritually because a fruitful faith is marked by knowing, knowing God personally and intimately. Now before we really get into the first point, Peter begins the letter by means of an introduction to it. And Peter begins and he introduces himself and his readers. He describes himself first as Simon Peter, a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. It's interesting to note that Peter describes himself first with his name. Uh, he uses the name that he was given at birth, Simon, and he uses his God-given name uh, from the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 16, where he proclaims that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that we read about in Matthew 16, verse 16. Let me read that to you this morning. Uh, In Matthew 16, 16, Simon Peter answered and said, "'You are the Christ, the Son of the living God.' Jesus answered and said to him, "'Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven,' Peter The reason you have confessed me as Christ, Jesus says, is not because of your intellect or your experience or your education, but because the Father has drawn your heart to me. And verse 18 says, and I also say to you that you are Peter, that's his name, and on this rock I will build my church. Petros means rock, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. What will he build his church upon? The profession of faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And then verse 19, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What do the keys represent? Keys represent the authority of the gospel of Christ. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And so as Peter is given this new name and the keys to the kingdom, as he preaches and proclaims the good news of the gospel, that Jesus died for our sins, rose again in newness of life, and offers salvation as a free gift to anyone who would receive it. As Jesus says, if you reject the message, you are bound in your sin. Heaven and earth are in agreement. And if he declares, if you receive the message and receive Christ into your life, you are loosed from your sin. Heaven and earth are in agreement. And that's where Peter gets his name, Simon Peter. Uh, Simon Peter describes himself in two ways. First, as a bondservant, and then as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Uh, The word bondservant there is a weak translation. In the original Greek, it's the Greek term doulos. That's where we get slave. And Peter identifies himself in humility. Before he describes his authority as an apostle, he describes himself as a slave in service to the Lord Jesus Christ. When you're talking about a slave, we're talking about someone who does not own their time and does not own their life, but their life is fully committed to the lordship of Jesus Christ. When we describe ourselves as slaves of Jesus Christ, we describe God as our master, that Jesus owns all things in our lives, and we are to submit our attitudes, actions, and affections to him in all things. Why does Peter describe himself as as a slave, and why are we invited to describe ourselves as slaves of Jesus Christ as well? Well, if we go back to 1 Peter 1, verse 18, it said this, "'Knowing that you were not redeemed "'with corruptible things.'" You were bought out of the slave market of sin, not by corruptible things like gold and silver, but you've been redeemed, bought out of the slave market of sin from your aimless conduct received by the tradition from your fathers, but when the precious blood of Jesus Christ as a lamb without blemish, without spot. And so... The reason why Peter identifies himself as a slave and you and I should identify ourselves as slaves is because we were redeemed, bought out of the slave market of sin by the precious, valuable blood of Jesus Christ. We have no other way to identify ourselves except as those who have been bought, not with that which is corruptible like gold and silver, but bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so like Peter, we can say, I am a slave of Jesus Christ. I don't obey my own desires and my own will, but I serve the purposes of God. It's interesting to note that in churches, we describe those who serve the Lord as volunteers. Isn't it interesting that the word volunteer carries with it the idea um, that service is optional? But we're reminded as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, as slaves of Jesus Christ, we're not just volunteers who serve in the local church, who serve in the home, who serve in our circles of influence, but we are slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. Serving the Lord isn't optional, it is required. Serving the Lord is not what we do because we have to. We do because we want to, because we've been bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so if you're going to give me an opportunity to serve the Lord Jesus in the church or outside of the church, give me the opportunity because I'm a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ, bought by his precious, valuable blood. So Peter identifies himself as a slave of Jesus Christ. Secondly, he identifies himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. The word apostle in the Greek is apostello. It literally means one who is sent, a sent one. But when Peter identifies himself as an apostle, he's speaking specifically about the fact that he's been called and commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ. As called and commissioned, he has also been attested to by miracle signs and wonders that he's been enabled to do to identify himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ, sent to preach and proclaim the good news of the gospel and lay the foundation of the church around the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. As Ephesians 2 verse 20 says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And so when Peter identifies himself in humility as a slave and identifies his authority as an apostle, when Peter writes these words, listen, we're not just talking about words that are opinions, we're not just talking about Peter's experiences or Peter's recommendations. We're talking about the authoritative word of God as Peter writes through the very inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Like in Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God breathed. And so as Peter writes this letter to these believers, he writes with the authority of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit who's speaking in and through him. And so, he identifies himself as a slave of Christ, as an apostle of Christ, and then he identifies his readers. He describes them in relationship to their faith. He says, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, He identifies uh, the readers as believers who have a certain kind of faith. What kind of faith do they have First, it's a faith that's been obtained, a faith that has been received. In other words, we're reminded that even our faith is a gift from God. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, for it is by grace you have been saved. God's unmerited favor. It's by grace you have been saved through faith, that faith even is a gift. Um, uh, that For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, it's not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. In John 6.44, we learn that the reason we respond to uh, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is because God gives us the faith to believe and draws our hearts to Himself. In John 6.44, it says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up the last day. Just as Peter, the the reason why he confessed Jesus as the Christ is not because of his intellect or his education or his experience, but because the Father made known to Peter who Jesus is. He is the Christ. And all of us who come to faith in Jesus, that faith is given to us. We obtain it by his grace. The faith is also described as that which is shared. It says, a like precious faith. The word precious means valuable, and what that tells us is that the same faith that the apostle Peter had and the same faith that the apostles had is the same faith we have. It's of equal value, and we share equal privileges that the apostles had. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing to consider that the faith that we have obtained from the Lord Jesus Christ given to us by his amazing grace is the same faith that the apostles had. Men like the apostle Peter, men like the apostle Paul, we have a like precious faith. And what is our faith in and by, it tells us, as he refers to these readers and describes their faith, it says, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In the righteousness of God, what is our faith in, grounded and rooted in, it's grounded and rooted in the fact that Jesus, in his moral perfection, lived a sinless life and is in a right standing before God. Not only is Christ righteous, but he provides us righteousness. And when we put our faith in Jesus and the righteousness he's provided, we put our faith in the sinless Savior who died a sacrificial and substitutionary death on your behalf and mine. And that is what our faith is grounded in. And so he says it this way, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. How does he describe Jesus there? Pay close attention. It says, describes Jesus as God. No mistaking that. Our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is God. And then it describes Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed prophet, priest, and king declared in the Old Testament. It's interesting to note if we take a peek at verse 2, that he, while he describes Jesus as God in verse 1, he differentiates God the Father from God the Son in verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus. So this helps us understand who Jesus is and who God is. Uh, the one true God exists eternally as three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. These three are one in essence, distinct in person, and equal in glory. In verses 1 to 2, you see that right on display. And so, Peter identifies those who are his readers as those who have a faith, and this faith is described as a like precious faith that has been obtained, and it's by the righteousness of God, speaking of Jesus And so having introduced himself and the readers, he then gives us this greeting, and this introduces us to our first point, that a fruitful faith is marked by knowing, knowing God intimately and knowing God personally. And the manner in which Peter greets these believers is, is by means of praying on their behalf. And we know that this is not just Peter's will for them, this is God's will for them. And so as you read these words, my prayer is that you would not just know what Peter's will for these believers are is but what God's will for your life and mine is. And what Peter prays on their behalf is that they would experience and enjoy all of the benefits that come with knowing God. That you and I would grow and enjoy all of the benefits that come with growing in our knowledge of God. What are the benefits of knowing God? Peter begins in... um, Uh, Verse 2, and says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. The first benefit and blessing of knowing God is having God's grace and peace multiplied. Now, before I talk about the benefit, let me first talk about what it means to know God and to grow in our knowledge of God. When it's speaking of the knowledge of God here, we're not just talking about an intellectual knowledge. We're not just talking about knowing God in our head, but knowing God in our hearts. We're talking about the kind of knowledge that you learn about God as you walk with him and talk with him, as you follow him, as you live your life in submission to him. It's not just knowing the truths that are declared about him, but knowing him personally, moment by moment and day by day, experiencing God in your heart. Life. It's not just about knowing His power, but experiencing His power. Not just about knowing His promises that we're going to read about this morning, but but, but living in light of those promises. And one of the benefits of knowing God intimately and personally, not just in your head, but in your heart and in the lifestyle that you live, is that His grace and peace are multiplied to you. I don't know about you, but I need more and more of His grace and peace every single day. Day. I need his grace and peace multiplied to me. Now, when we're talking about grace, we're talking about the unmerited favor of God. We said it earlier in Ephesians 2.8, for it is by grace, the unmerited favor of God, that you have been saved. And so when we're talking about grace, we're talking about two kinds of graces. Saving grace, his unmerited favor. We, get what, we don't get what we deserve, right? That's mercy, And then, and then he gives us what we don't deserve. He gives us salvation. We deserve wrath and judgment, but God, in His grace, gives us salvation. That's saving grace. But how many of you know God doesn't just multiply His saving grace your way? He multiplies His sustaining grace your way. When you wake up in the morning, and I wake up in the morning, we need to pray. God, give me Your grace, Your unmerited favor to sustain me and to continue to sanctify me and to conform me into the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ. Grace be multiplied to you. Secondly, peace be multiplied to you. This is the benefit of knowing God, a multiplication of his grace and a multiplication of his peace. If grace is the unmerited favor of God, peace is the result of having that grace. When you have his saving grace, well, how how many of you know that we have and are reminded of our peace with God. If I could bring you to Ephesians chapter two, it speaks of this significance. When we're born into this world, we're born sinful and separated and children of wrath. Let me read it to you. Ephesians chapter two, verse one says, and you he made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Listen, we're born into this world deserving of his wrath and judgment because we are sinful and we're separated. But the good news comes in verse four, but God, what a wonderful statement to, to circle in your Bibles. All of us had a but God moment if we trusted in Christ but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show us the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. As a result of his unmerited favor, we've received peace With God. We are no longer children of wrath. We've been adopted as sons and daughters and enjoy all of the privileges that come with being a child of God. But not only are we talking about peace with God, we're talking about the peace of God. I need his grace multiplied and I need his peace multiplied. The reality of his saving grace, but also the reality of his sustaining grace that he is my peace. And we're talking about the peace of God. We're talking about John 14, chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus, as he's preparing his disciples for his crucifixion, death, and then his ascension after he departs. He promises them, it's to their advantage that he goes because he's going to provide them a helper and the helper is going to be their peace. Not just their peace, the helper is going to be your peace. John 14, 27 says this, Peace I leave with you. Peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. It's something unique from what the world can offer. It's the power of the Holy Spirit who resides in you. That is not only a reminder of our peace with God, but the peace of God. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. God has given you his peace through the Holy Spirit that resides in you and I. Reminds us of Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We need his grace and his peace multiplied to us. At the end of chapter five of 1 Peter, if you remember, we talked about humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God, and as you cast your cares on him, we are to do that knowing that he cares for us. He gives us a peace, as Philippians 4, 6 to 7 says, that surpasses all understanding. Ending. Knowing God, the benefit of that, and growing in that knowledge is a multiplication of his grace and his peace. This morning, I had the opportunity to greet you as we transitioned our worship in the Word by saying, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. May you remind one another of the grace and peace that is multiplied to us in our salvation in Jesus our Savior and our Lord, what a wonderful way to greet one another. The second benefit of knowing God is knowing the provisional power that he provides us, in which he gives us everything we need for life and godliness. Verse three goes on to say this, as his divine power has given us all things, That pertained to life and godliness through what? Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and by virtue. Uh, This is a reminder as you get to know God, you get to know about his power, his divine power. What kind of power are we talking about that gives us everything we need for life and godliness? If you struggle in terms of temptations in this life and and, and in regards to trials and tribulations you're facing, what kind of power has been given to you to live a life and to pursue godliness? It says a divine power. We're talking about the power that spoke creation into existence. That's the same power that's available to you and I as we are given everything we need for life and godliness. You know, the power that Jesus exercised while on this earth, demonstrating his powers through miracle signs and wonders, the power in which Jesus turned water into wine, the power displayed as he made the sick well, as he made the blind see, as he made the lame leap, as he took a guy like Lazarus who was dead in the grave for four days and raised him in newness of life, and the same power that raised Christ from the dead after being in the grave three days is the divine power being described here, and this divine power has been given to you and I as believers, and as we get to know him, we get to know his power, and and it provides everything we need For life and for godliness. Everything we need for life, the word life there is Zoe. It speaks of a quality of life and a quantity of life. It speaks of an abundance of life. It's speaking of the eternal life that Christ offers in Himself. You go back to John chapter 10, verse 8, Jesus says, I am the door. He who enters by me shall be saved and he shall go in and out and find pasture. That's the abundant life. You find contentment in the care of your shepherd. Verse nine there says, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life, Jesus says, and have it in abundance. So the life that is being talked about here is the life that we have the moment we trust in Christ as our Savior and Lord. And God has given us His divine power that is made available to us for everything we need for life and for godliness. Everything you need to be conformed into the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ is available to you and I through the power that is given to us. And we grow in our knowledge of his power by growing in our knowledge of him. Text goes on to say, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Through the knowledge of him who, who what called us? Uh, the word called there is really speaking of the effectual calling of God as the Father draws our heart to the Son and to trust in Him. It's the faith that we have been given and the faith that have we have received. The, and it says here, the calling by which we have been, um, let me go back. Through the knowledge of him who called us by what? By his glory and his virtue. What kind of calling is this? He called us to his glory by his glory and his virtue. And so, how did God call us in light of Christ's glory? This is an invitation to open your eyes and to see Christ for all that he is in his majesty and his splendor and the manner in which God has called us by his effectual calling is in light of the glory and the majesty and the splendor of who Jesus is. Not just in the splendor and the greatness of who he is, but also in light of his virtue. When it speaks of virtue, it's speaking of his moral excellence, his moral purity is speaking of his moral perfection. Listen, when we're talking about Jesus Christ, we're not just talking about an example of godliness. We're talking about the standard of godliness. He is the summation of what moral excellence, purity, and perfection looks like. And we are called, as we open our eyes to the glory, the greatness, and the moral excellence of the Lord Jesus Christ, he calls us to himself and we trust in him. So the benefit of Knowing God is his provisional promises, or excuse me, his provisional power. Thirdly, his precious promises, his precious promises. We keep reading in verse four, it says, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. We have been given exceedingly great and precious promises. So as we grow in our knowledge of God, we have his grace and peace increasing, uh, multiplied unto us. We have the the power of God available to us and we have the promises of God being reminded to us. Peter doesn't list what promises they are, but we're talking about all the promises in scripture. You know, when I think of the promises of God, I always think of the I am statements that Jesus makes throughout the gospel of John. John chapter 6, 35, I am the bread of life. You know what Jesus promises all those who will follow him, get to know him and trust in him as their savior and Lord? Jesus says, I will satisfy the deepest longing of your heart. I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus promises you a spiritual satisfaction that will satisfy the deepest longing of your heart. These are the precious promises that we're talking about. Jesus who says, I'm the light of the world in John chapter eight, verse 12. That Jesus in a world lost in darkness is the light that will lead us to salvation and everlasting life. Jesus promises that he is the door that leads to salvation and the abundant life. Jesus is the one who promises that he is the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. Jesus is the one who promises that he is the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, shall live. And he who lives and believes in me, Jesus says, shall never die. Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then in John chapter 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Jesus promises that if you abide in him, you will not just bear fruit, you'll bear much fruit. We're talking about those promises, we're talking about the promise of forgiveness. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is everlasting life. These are the exceedingly great and precious promises of God that give us the ability, in light of the power, the provisional power that he's given us to become partakers of his divine nature. Whoa, what does it mean to be a partaker of the divine nature of God? It doesn't mean that we become little gods but it does mean that we are being conformed into the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ. There are certain traits that cannot be shared with God. He's all-powerful, He's all-knowing, He's all-present, He is eternal. Now, you may receive eternal life, but you have a beginning. God, He has no beginning, He has no end. He was, He is, He is to come. He is the Alpha and the Omega, but there are certain character traits, virtues that we can have is we share in the likeness of Christ and are conformed into the image and likeness of who he is, as we are, are, are pursuing godliness. And in a moment, we're going to talk about what that looks like in verses 5 to 11. But as we receive and are reminded of his precious promises, we become partakers of his divine nature. And then it goes on to say, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. How many of you as believers and as Christians continue to struggle, struggle with temptation in our lives, trials that we face in our lives? In the words of Paul, when we want to do what is right, sometimes we we don't always do that. And there's this ongoing battle in our our minds and our hearts, and and what what, what we long for and desire is to escape the corruption. Escape the corruption that is in the world through lust, through our sinful desires. And the way we escape it and the way we become partakers of the divine nature is by means of being reminded of his precious promises. What we need is to go back to the word of God and put our faith in the promises of God and stand on the promises that he's given us. As you and I grow in our knowledge of God, not just intellectually, but experience walking in his promises, walking in his power, we become partakers of his divine nature, and we escape the corruption that comes through our sinful desires and through our lusts. How do you know you're growing spiritually? You know it Know it, knowing that a fruitful faith is marked by knowing God intimately and personally. You know, the interesting thing about this is what we want when it comes to being conformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ is give me seven steps to walk in spiritual maturity and spiritual purity but there's really just one step. Take a step to the Lord and continue to walk with him and talk with him daily. Get to know him moment by moment and day by day in those times of trial, and those times of temptation. Instead of leaving God, lean into God as he leans into you and get to know your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and then watch what he does. How do we get to know Jesus. The first step, of course, for us, if we haven't trusted in Christ as our Savior and our Lord, is to make that profession of faith. This morning, you will never get to know God and experience the power of God or the promises of God if you haven't yet trusted in Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. You have to come to a place of saying, God, I was born into this world, as the scriptures say, sinful and separated from you who are holy. I was born into this world, according to Ephesians chapter two, as a child of wrath. And to admit that that Jesus came in order to give me not what I deserve, judgment, but to give us, me what I don't deserve, salvation. And put your hope and your faith in Jesus. That's how you take your first step towards God. Secondly, the manner in which you grow in your knowledge of God is getting to know God not just in your head, but in your heart. This is where you apply it, not just on Sunday morning, but on Monday morning, right? You hear the word, and then you exercise Walking in submission and obedience to God and his word the next day. And so what we're reminded of is that we continually need to grow in our knowledge of God, not just in our intellectual knowledge, but in our heart knowledge as we walk in his will and walk in accordance with his word. And to do that, I'd invite us to get to know his presence and his peace. Anybody this morning who's just anxious and worried and overwhelmed with the The struggles of life, the invitation of the text is to experience his presence and his peace. Not just to know about it, not just to know about his power, not just to know about his presence, but to experience his presence and his peace and his unmerited favor in his grace. Get to know his presence and his peace. The second invitation is get to know his power. His divine power that's given you everything you need for life and godliness. Do you believe that? Get to know his power. And the times we get to know his power are not the times when everything is going well, but those times of hardship and difficulty. Really get to know his power in those difficult times. And thirdly, get to know his promises. May we stand upon the promises of God by knowing them, memorizing them, sharing them with one another, and experiencing what it looks like to then be partakers of the divine nature as we escape the corruption of our sinful desires. And so how do you know you're growing spiritually? By growing in your knowledge of God, a fruitful faith is marked by knowing. Secondly, a fruitful faith is marked by growing How do you know you're growing spiritually? Well, you get to see the fruit that comes out of your faith as we pick up in verse 5. It says, But also for this reason, giving diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love how are we invited to grow spiritually first we're invited by to have the right motivation take a look at how verse 5 begins it says but also for this very reason what's our motivation well verses 3 to 4 our motivation what did we learn in verses 3 to 4 that because of God's promises and because of God's power we have everything we need for life and godliness that's our motivation The reason we can pursue spiritual growth is because the power source is not us. The promises are not an opinion. No, it's based on the authority of God's word. And so because of his power and because of his promises, we can pursue spiritual maturity. We can grow spiritually and we can be conformed into the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ. That's our motivation. Secondly, the manner in which we grow is, it says, by giving all diligence. Uh, that means we have a desire to grow. There is an eagerness to grow. In light of his promises, in light of his power, we diligently pursue holy living and spiritual growth. Well, what do we mean by that in Philippians, or let me let me connect us first to John chapter 15, verse 5, and then we'll go to Philippians 2. In John 15, verse 5, how do we diligently Pursue spiritual growth. It says, I am the vine, Jesus says, and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. What does a branch do? A branch simply abides, stays connected. And the manner in which we are to diligently pursue spiritual growth and be conformed into the image of likeness of Jesus Christ and moment by moment look a little bit more like Jesus is simply by abiding, staying connected to the vine and being reminded of his promises and his power moment by moment and day by day. But the second text I want to bring you to is Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, that says this, "'Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, "'not in my presence only,' Uh, but now, much more in my absence, it says, "Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling." Some people struggle with that verse because they say, "Wait a second! I thought salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone." But Philippians two twelve doesn't tell us that um, doesn't tell us that we are to work for our salvation. It tells us to work out our salvation. Verse thirteen clarifies that: "For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His." good pleasure. And so the text is telling us what God has worked in, you work out. God has provided you and I all of the resources we need to live a life of holiness and godliness. What we need to do as he has worked in his salvation is to work out that salvation. God has worked in us both the will to do and the, well, the, both the will and and the will to do, and then we work that out. And so We work with the Lord having what God has given us and we do so diligently. We have received his salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And then like Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good work. So what God has put in, you work out. And so the manner in which we grow is diligently with the right motivation. And then thirdly, the text tells us by adding to our faith. Um, the first foundation is our faith. Faith simply means placing your faith and your trust in Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And so you can't move any further than that this morning if you are an unbeliever, if you haven't trusted in Christ to forgive your sins and to grant you everlasting life. And so if, if you're an unbeliever, the first step is to place your faith in Jesus as your Savior and Lord. But if you have received faith in Jesus and you have received the forgiveness of sins and the promise of everlasting life, the text goes on to say, add to your faith virtue. We described what virtue was earlier. Virtue is moral excellence. It's courageously pursuing holy living even in the face of difficulty, (laughs) And so what we are to add to our faith is holy living. What we are to add to our faith is a life of obedience, as a slave, as a servant of Jesus Christ. And as we call him Lord, we also serve him as Lord. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do, do what I say? And so we are to add virtue to our faith. Secondly, to virtue knowledge. As you grow in your faith, you also grow in your knowledge of God in his word. You read his word, not just in a devotion or hear his word preach and proclaim in a Sunday gathering, but you really get to know him in his word. You study it, you meditate on it, you have conversations about it, you wrestle through certain texts of scripture, and then you walk in obedience to it. And so to virtue, knowledge to knowledge, self-control. Self-control means that we are not controlled by the desires and appetites of our flesh or the desires and appetites of the things of this world, but we are controlled by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says, don't be drunk with wine, but be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. That means don't come under the influence of alcohol, where that is influencing you. Come under the influence of the Holy Spirit who guides and directs you in all things. And that's one of the one of the character traits that speaks of the fruit of the Spirit. Add to it self-control. To self-control perseverance. Perseverance speaks of... of, of Pushing forward through difficulties, through trials, and through tribulations. Perseverance speaks of not giving up. It's a reminder this morning for those who are here today adding to your faith. If you're having difficulty in your marriage, don't give up. Keep fighting through. Allow God, who has provided his power and his promises, to give you all that you need for life and godliness. This is a reminder if you may have come to a place where you're about to give up on your family or to give up on your faith. God has given you everything you need for life and for godliness. Persevere and keep moving forward. For anyone who's given up and says, I can't overcome These temptations, God has given you everything you need in regards to his power and his promises for life and godliness, don't give up. Add perseverance to your faith. Not just perseverance, godliness. Godliness means that moment by moment and day by day, our ultimate desire and pursuit is to be conformed into the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ Romans 8, 29 to 30, it says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. God's design is that we would look more like Jesus every day. We're not just talking about the moment of salvation. Immediately you begin to look like Jesus, but day by day and moment by moment, God is using all things, good and bad, to make you look more like him. So add godliness to your faith. Add brotherly kindness to your faith. Brotherly kindness speaks of treating others like family, treating them with brotherly love, not just in how you greet them, but how you interact with them. Um, The thing with being a part of a family is you can't necessarily leave it. You can try, but you're still part of that family, and you see others, and you treat them uh, with brotherly kindness. That's where you get the word Philadelphia. And then um, to brotherly, brotherly kindness, love. Love is the summation of it all. The word love there tops it off. The word love there is agape. It's a selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love that is being spoken about here. And so how do you grow in your faith? By means of adding to it these seven virtues. And then the text tells us the result that comes When we do it says for if these things are yours and abound you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ as you get to know God as you continue to grow in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ as you walk with him and talk with him as you walk in obedience to him as you daily experience his power and his promises at work in your life. As you add these things to your faith, the result is you become fruitful and useful. Whenever you are not diligently pursuing godly living and spiritual growth and working out what God has worked in, what you become is barren. If you've ever had a barren tree that doesn't produce fruit, it's useless. Why do you have it? Does it make it, it doesn't do anything you need it to, it needs to bear fruit. So what do you do with fruitless trees? You... You toss them, you get rid of them. Don't be barren. Don't be fruitless. Stay connected, abide in Christ, and bear much fruit. And so the result of, ab- of abiding and, and uh, pursuing uh, spiritual maturity is it diligently is that we become useful and fruitful. Verse 9, it continues to say, For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. When you're not pursuing spiritual growth and you're not being conformed to the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ, it makes you look as if you're not genuinely believer. You may say, you know, I've trusted Christ as my Savior and Lord, but if you're not bearing the fruit, you may know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, but you're acting like an unbeliever and because you have forgotten what life was like before Christ came into your life. For you are a child of wrath separated from a holy God deserving of his wrath and his judgment. You're short-sighted and you've forgotten the forgiveness that Christ has offered you and so you forget life befo- what life was like before Christ and you forget what life is lived in Christ. What is life lived in Christ? You have forgotten that your sins have been forgiven and God has not just given you a grace that will save you. God has given you a grace that will sanctify you and that will sustain you. Everything you need for life and godliness is available to you through his divine power and the promises that he has given you. Stand upon those promises. Don't rest in your feelings. Rest in your faith and pursue diligently spiritual maturity in these things. It goes on to speak of the benefit of walking in these things is um, assurance. Verse 10, Therefore, brethren, speaking to believers, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. What Peter is saying, make sure you're saved. It's not saying that you can lose your salvation. The saying that goes, if you could lose your salvation, you would. But the manner in which you experience the assurance that you are truly saved is as you walk and grow and mature in the faith. The Bible says, faith without works is dead. Works don't save you, but a genuine faith will not fail to produce the fruit that comes from a life that's changed and transformed. And so what we're reminded of is when we pursue holy living, when we pursue spiritual maturity, when we add these seven virtues to our faith through the enablement and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, because he is the power source, he is the source of the promises that we have received, it then provides us the assurance, yes, I see the fruit. Does that mean that we walk in perfection? No. No. It's that we walk steadfast in the promises and the power of God, knowing moment by moment, day by day, the Lord is slowly changing us and transforming us into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. My prayer for myself and my prayer for you is that today, regardless of what tomorrow, yesterday looked like, that today you look a little more like Jesus today than you did yesterday. My prayer for you this next year is that this next year, you're gonna look a little bit more like Jesus next year than you did this year, that you're slowly being conformed into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. And that provides us assurance of our salvation. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. It's not saying you're going to experience sinless perfection. It means that you're going to be steadfast in your faith. You are going to press on. My prayer is that you would have the assurance of your salvation, that you would pursue spiritual growth and maturity, that you would bear the fruit that is consistent with, a, with one who's, who, who, who is a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away, the new has come. Verse 11, for so entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The benefit of adding to your faith and diligently pursuing spiritual maturity in his power and in his promises is that you have the blessed hope of eternity, that you are assured entrance into heaven and you will be with God and his people forever and ever. How do you know you're growing spiritually? You know you're growing spiritually because your faith is fruitful A fruitful faith is marked by knowing, knowing God intimately, knowing God personally, moment by moment and day by day, being being transformed into the likeness of Christ, but also growing, growing and being transformed into the likeness of Christ as you add these various virtues to your faith. What's our takeaway this morning? My prayer is that you can take a moment to take a look at your faith journey and consider, is my faith Fruitful. This morning, if, if you don't know for sure that if you died today and you, went to, and, and you stood before the Lord, you didn't know if you were going to go to heaven or hell, you're going to spend an eternity with God and his people forever, an eternity without God and his people forever and ever. I pray that you could leave here today with the assurance of your salvation by putting your faith in Jesus as your Savior and Lord. The first step is a step of faith. The next step the thing I'd like to ask our, us to do this morning is to take a look at those seven virtues, whether virtue, moral excellence, or knowledge, or self-control, and I want you to take a moment to take a look at that list, maybe even right now in your mind, think about those seven virtues that you're at to add to your faith and ask, what are those areas of growth for me? Maybe for me, on Monday mornings, Sunday evenings, whatever the day may be, I, I need to grow in my self-control. Now, I know that there are certain times and certain places I go where I'm more prone towards temptation. And so in those times, I need to stay connected to Christ. I need accountability partner that God has provided me who is a faithful believer in Jesus, who's going to hold me to account. And so I need someone like that in my life. And so self-control is what I'm going to diligently pursue, knowing that God has given me everything I need for Life and godliness, I'm going to pursue self-control. Maybe for others this morning, it's the knowledge of God and his word. You would say, you know, I, I haven't really loved spending time with God and his word, and I want to pursue that more. Ask God to, to create in your heart a desire, a longing to feed and nourish on his word. What are those things among those seven things listed that you want to grow in in regards to your faith? And then ask God to begin to grow, knowing that he's given you everything you need for life and for godliness. This morning, as we close together, I'd like to say a prayer for us. I'd like to say a prayer for those who are not believers. I'd invite you to join me in this prayer. if Today, you want to make Jesus your Savior and your Lord. But I also want to pray this morning for anyone who wants to grow in spiritual maturity and spiritual growth. Let's take some time to pray. Father in heaven, we come before you this morning thankful for the letter of 2 Peter. Thank you for for your word, which is indeed a light into our feet and a lamp into our path. We pray this morning, Lord, that your word would truly not just be something we know, uh, not just something that we are informed about, but that which leads to a transformed life. And so, Father, as, as we hear your word this morning, I pray that your word is working in the hearts of anyone who hasn't yet come to faith in Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And so, Father, I want to pray for anyone here today who doesn't have the assurance of their salvation, who knows that or doesn't know that if they died today and Uh, met the Lord, whether they would spend an eternity with God and his people or spend an eternity without him. I pray that they can, in this moment, surrender their lives to Jesus. Just these words, meaning it from the heart. Father, I recognize that I'm a sinner separated from a holy God. I admit my need for Christ and him crucified. Today I make Jesus my savior I make him my Lord. I receive the forgiveness of sins and the gift of everlasting life. I desire to follow you all the days of my life into eternity. Father, I want to pray for anyone this morning who's pursuing any kind of spiritual maturity, whether in regards to moral excellence or knowledge and growing therein, Father, or any of the things that we talked about this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would Impress these things in our heart. Remind us of your promises and the divine power that's available to us. And let us walk in the power of the Spirit to enable us in all things. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray your blessing on these things and ask them in Jesus' name, amen.